Chapter Two of The Master Knot of Human Fate. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Roger Moline. The Master Knot of Human Fate by Ellis Meredith. Chapter Two. There is always work and tools to work withal for those who will, and blessed are the horny hands of toil. Lowell. Do you remember Gabriel Betteridge? asked Adam a day or so later, as he watched her set the house in order after their breakfast. You know, in times of great mental perturbation, he always sought comfort and counsel from the pages of Robinson Crusoe. When in doubt, he waited until tomorrow, as Robinson advised, and no matter what his perplexities, he always found just what he wanted in that infallible book. If I remember correctly, but it's years since I read it, Robinson goes on a voyage of discovery the first thing. He built a raft to get away from the wreck first, I think, she said reflectively. Or did he build the raft to get to the wreck? I can't remember. And then he built a house. Somewhere along there he wrote down his situation in a deadly parallel. I have sometimes wondered if he was the inventor of that style but he offset the debit of being cast away with gratitude for having escaped with his life. We're not, at least I'm not, sure that belongs on the credit side. We don't want to do much exploring yet, he answered. If we have no wreck to supply us with all sorts of things, we have a house ready to hand. Not exactly as we would either of us have ordered it, I fancy, but better than we could build. Do you know what there is in it? We might begin our investigation here. With lamp in hand we will explore, she hummed, but two rooms in a cellar do not promise much. There is nothing to see in this room except what we do see, and the contents of that chest which is locked. Adam tried the lock, then shook the chest. There's nothing in it anyhow, he said. As to the other room, she went on, there is a bedroom set, a better one than I should have expected to find in a place like this, and a closet with some clothes in it. The man was about your size, but the feminine garments, well, they are all about the length of my bicycle skirt, and on the shelf there is a pile of bedding. There is no trap door leading into either subterranean or overhead apartments. In fact, there is nothing else except a chair. It's very uninteresting. Adam had been moving about the room and stopped before the bookshelf. He wound the clock mechanically and read the titles of the books aloud. A chemistry, a book on electricity, a Bible, a worn copy of Tennyson, the Yankee at King Arthur's Court, and a patent medicine almanac made up the list. There is one mysterious thing, he said, and that is the packing cases out under the shed. I can't make up my mind what they contain, and I don't quite feel that we ought to open them. I should like to. They look as if they might hold... Canned goods? she said interrogatively. I was going to say books, but I suppose we need canned lobster more, he assented. 
If you are sure they contain oats, peas, beans, or barley, or anything that the farmer knows, that would justify me in opening them. He took up a hatchet, and they went out and inspected the boxes, which were very large and strong. "'Let's not open them yet,' she said. "'There is one other treasure in one of the bureau drawers. It is a box with seeds of almost every kind. They ought to have known most of those things wouldn't grow up this close to Timberline.' "'Probably they were sent by the congressman from this district,' Adam said dryly but I'm not so sure they won't grow. Have you noticed how warm it is, how very unlike what it has always been? Let us go to the stables and see what we can find there. They went up a path, past a garden, fenced with woven wire, through which the chickens looked longingly. Under some sashes forming a primitive greenhouse, lettuce and radishes were making good headway. Nothing else had come up, though there were many beds with small slips of board like miniature tombstones showing what had been planted the stables and cow barn were all under one roof and would accommodate several horses and a few cows there was hay and fodder in a lot adjoining and a few ordinary farm implements a plow a harrow and a cultivator in a shed addition do you know what it is for she asked mischievously as he pulled out the plow. "'Do you think I never remembered the Granger vote in my ambitions?' he answered. "'I can plow, and I have planted and snapped corn, and cut fodder, and dug potatoes. I wonder if there are any here.' "'Yes,' she answered. "'In the cellar. At least a bushel. Mostly gone to eyes. But I forget how thick to cut them.' If we were only the Swiss family Robinson, she went on, we should find yams and pineapples and oranges and sugar cane and bananas coming up between the rocks. As it is, I am thankful to the congressman who sent the peas and morning glories. There is only about enough wheat and corn to plant fifteen acres, Adam said, making a rough calculation in his mind. I will plow a little over that so as to have a patch for the potatoes and get it ready as soon as possible. I know how to plant corn and potatoes, she said eagerly. Just as soon as you get part of the land ready, I will begin. You didn't know I was brought up on a ranch, did you? I never was very fond of recalling it. It is a perpetual round of conditions unlike any theory ever heard of. She shrugged her shoulders and stopped at the rude table under the porch to crumb some slices of what looked like a kind of cornbread. "'What is it?' he asked curiously. "'That is to enable us to make light of our troubles,' she replied solemnly. "'Or, for thy more sweet understanding it is, or at least I hope it will be, yeast. "'I found a twin brother's yeast cake, and from it behold the brethren.' I know that raised bread is unhealthy, and that to get the worth of your money you ought to eat the bran also, and that the best bread, from the hygienic standpoint, is made from wheat paste and is about the consistency of sole leather. But even if yeast does shorten our lives, I don't know that I shall give it up on that account. 
The planting of their crops took several weeks, and was very hard work, for neither of them was an expert farmer. When the corn and wheat came up there were almost no weeds, and the stand was better than usual for sod land, but they were kept busy warding off the horses and cattle that preferred the fresh young corn and wheat to the indifferent natural grass. I thought, she said wearily, after driving away the intruders for the third time, I thought fences were a sign of civilization, but they seemed to be the first necessity of the wilderness. She was sitting on a rock, fanning her flushed face with her sombrero, when Adam came to her assistance. "'You should have waited,' he said. "'I was coming, but I had to hitch the team.' He turned and looked at her, and laughed boyishly. "'The run hasn't hurt you,' he said. "'You look like a wild rose. I believe I shall call you so. May I? I can't call you by the old name.' She colored hotly, then turned quite pale, and there was a touch of reserve in her voice, as she answered rather too indifferently, "'If you choose, still, I think, O oh Adam Crusoe, that Friday or Robinson would be a better name.' "'We'll compromise on Robin,' he said. "'A rose by any other name is just as sweet.' "'I wish we had a fence,' she said, turning the subject hastily. "'We have,' he answered. "'If we were to build one ourselves, it would have to be of rocks. But nature has provided a magnificent stone barrier. We have only to drive the animals we are not using through the gateway and fasten that little wooden concern after them. There is good pasture outside, and if we need them, we can go after them. "'Lassie will look after Daisy and Lily, won't you, little dog? "'I will go and open the gate and drive them through. "'You help Lassie keep those two back.' "'She stood undecidedly, and he turned and said gently, "'I will come back without passing through the gateway. "'I will never pass it without you. "'I wouldn't dare. "'Now see how nicely Lassie will conduct this round-up. As he went toward the gateway, her eyes followed him with a look he would hardly have comprehended. It was so full of relief and gratitude. He understood and reassured her without noticing her fears or smiling at her weakness. Every day and many times she thanked God that, of all the men who might have been left by this modern deluge, it was Adam who had been with her and was with her in this terrible experience. End of chapter 2 Recording by Roger Moline